Chris Jones. We're on Lesson 3, Approach to the Bible. But before we get to that, I wonder if we have any Orange Juice fans listening. You know, my friend gave me some Orange Juice from Concentrate recently, but I have never been able to achieve that level of focus. Thank you. I know. That's good stuff, right? Thanks. So, those, those will keep coming. No worries. Well, a, a great number of questions people have about Christianity and its worldview claims, like origin, meaning, morality, destiny, it, it stems from a lack of clarity on how to read the Bible. Uh, this just seems to pop up again and again. So, I want to actually go through what I call the four contexts of Bible study. I call them the reader's context, the historical context, the literary context, and the Bible context. And I want to use an illustration of going on vacation to help explain these contexts. So, let's say we're heading off to Italy. Sound good? So first thing you're going to need going to need to do is to pack your bags. Now, there's a lot of helpful things that you're going to bring in your luggage, but we also end up bringing stuff that we don't need at times, don't we? And it just tends to make our luggage heavy and our journey more difficult. And I'd like to suggest this is true with our Bible reading. So this is what I call reader's context. It seems to me that we all bring ideas or expectations to our Bible study. And sometimes these can be really helpful. We've packed some helpful things in our bags. Uh, sometimes they're not helpful. These ideas, these biases, are created by all sorts of things. Our time studying, uh, our culture, our church, our friends, even a familiarity we would have with the text. So let's, let's think about Jeremiah 29.11. It's an amazing verse. This verse is incredible. God says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, this verse is so well known and so commonly used by Christians. And I wonder, however, if our familiarity ends up inoculating us from the depth and significance that this verse holds, could it be that we need to hear this verse in a fresh, new way, like it's the first time we've ever heard it? Could our ideas about this verse be guided in a different direction than we currently have? Do we maybe need to remove some things in our luggage that are slowing us down from what the author intends us to see? New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this in the book Saving the Bible from Ourselves. Wright notes, If you read your own questions into the text and try to get an answer from it, when the text itself is talking about something else, you run the risk not only of hearing an echo of your own voice rather than the word of God, but also missing the key point that the text was actually trying to tell you and which you've brushed aside for your relentless quest for your own meaning. Tim Mackey actually said this in a recent 
Bible Project video, and I really liked it. So let me play this for you guys. For people who have the conviction that the truth about the world and about God and ourselves is revealed in Jesus and through the scriptures, um, it's very easy for us to confuse uh, the whole truth with my current understanding of that truth. Uh, but the opposite is the case. Um, I should assume that my grasp of the real truth about the world is just very small and needs to grow and expand. Love that line. This, this idea that we need to have a spirit of open-mindedness when we open our Bibles and be ready to let the Bible mess with our categories. Uh, I'm sure you'd agree with me that we, we don't want to strive to read the Bible to maintain our current view of what is true, but rather let the Bible guide us to what is true. So that's the reader's context. We gotta pack our bags if we're heading off on a trip. Remember, we're going to Italy. And if you're heading off, you, you pack your bags, you need a passport, right? And a passport, what does it do? It, it provides access into another country, but it also shows that you're a citizen of a different country. And it seems to me that this is essential for Bible study as well. We need to recognize our need for a passport. We are citizens of this modern world, and when we open up our Bibles, we're traveling to the ancient world, where people lived and believed very differently than we do. This is often referred to as the historical context. Reader's context has to do with what we bring to our Bible reading. Historical context has to do with what they brought with them when they wrote and read scripture. And I'm talking here about the author and the original recipients of the different books of the Bible. So what kind of passport do we need for Jeremiah 29.11? There's a few things I think we could think about for a start. One is the author and the other is the audience. It'd be very helpful to think about who Jeremiah is and his role as a prophet and how that relates to Israel. And of course, the original recipients would be Israel themselves. They're uh, in exile. They've been taken in exile by Babylon. And reflecting back historically on why they've been exiled due to the covenant God made with Israel back at Mount Sinai, that's going to help anchor this passage in its historical context. You know, God has only ever made a covenant with one nation ever in history. So the conditions for exile and the promises for a return are all rooted in that specific covenant God made with ancient Israel. So I'm going to say something really weird here. But it's really important that we distance ourselves from the text before we can begin to think about the wisdom that it contains for us today. John Walton, uh, Old Testament scholar at Wheaton, has become very well known for phrasing, for coining this phrase, the Bible was written to them, but it's for us. 
Here, I'll let Walton give you a, a little snippet of what I mean by this. You see, we're not free to impose our own questions, our own culture, our own agendas, our own issues on the biblical text and demand that it address our situation. It's addressed to an ancient culture, in an ancient language, in an ancient time. And we need to make sure that we are entering that world instead of dragging the text as if it were talking to our world and in our terms. The message transcends the culture, but the form is culture bound. And so we have to recognize then that we are reading the text as outsiders. And the text represents an insider communication. That means if we're going to get the full focus of God's revelation to us and get the full force of its authority, we have to try to take our place in that audience and try to hear it as that audience would have heard it. That's the way that we are going to get the authority of God's text. That idea of getting the authority of God's text by me taking my place with the original recipients and hearing the message the way they would have heard it, that, that I find to be really, really significant. So a lot of great lines in there. Um, what does this mean? This means that we've got some work to do. Um, I, I don't want to ruffle feathers here, but I would like you to consider that the Holy Spirit isn't going to help us with some of this stuff. Uh, I mentioned in the last podcast that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the Spirit enables us to understand Scripture's truth and moves us to respond. However, I don't think the Spirit <clears throat> helps us understand something like why Paul wrote Romans or what the ancient Near Eastern view of the world was. I mean, there's just nothing for it. We, we need to research. We need to study. And, and the more we do, the more we're going to grasp things in Scripture. And I believe that's going to help us know God more and know our role uh, in redemptive history. I want to honor God with how I approach his word. And I think that means we need to get our passports stamped if we really want to enter into the world of the Bible. Well, that's two contexts. We've got two more to go. So I hope you guys are doing okay. We'll, we'll keep trucking along here. Remember, we're going on a trip. So we've got our luggage packed. And those are the ideas that we bring, our passport to enter into this this world of the Bible. But once you get there, you need a tour guide. You need somebody to be able to show you around. And this is what I like to call the literary context. You know, I went to Italy with my buddy when I was in my 20s, and we literally use this tour book, tour guide book from Rick Steves. And it was amazing how it led us around the different countries and we were able to see and find things that were so amazing. And if we didn't have that guidebook, we wouldn't have found them. And I think there's two things that I'd like to share with you in this literary context section that I think will be helpful. And I think it's going to guide us to the author's intended meaning. Uh, 
So, the first one is just that literature, the type of literature I'm reading, determines the rules for how to read it. You know, Genesis is totally different from Revelation. In the same way, much like Spain, totally different from Mexico. So if we want to get around well in these countries, we need a good guide. And I'd like to say, if we really want to get around in Genesis, I need a guide to know how Hebrew narrative works. Or, let's think back on Jeremiah 29.11. What kind of literature am I dealing with here? Well, this is a prophetical book. So it's really helpful to know how to read Old Testament prophetical books if I want to get a handle on what the message is here. And another thing I want to mention for literary context is this. Never just read one verse. Always read the verses around it. Let me give you an example. If I ask you what R-U-N means, you may say something like, oh, that the word run, that means moving in a swift motion. Okay, so let me put it in a sentence. Johnny would like to run. And yeah, you're thinking, yeah, sounds like what I think it means. Okay, let me give you more context. The election for senior class president's coming up. Johnny would like to run. Last year he lost to his best friend Alex. Ah, so now you can see that run had nothing to do with fast motion. This illustrates the principle that context determines meaning. I'd like to suggest the same is true for verses in the Bible. If we just get one verse, we might end up heading down the wrong alley on our trip. So let's look at Jeremiah 20 and 11 again, and let me give you some verses before it and after it. And I wonder if your perception of the verse changes. I'll start in verse 8 of chapter 29. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. and Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For... I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll hear you. You will seek me and find me and you will seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So when we read these verses in their context, you can clearly see that the you here being referred to would be the Israelites who are exiled. False prophets have been saying, eh, don't worry, God's going to figure it out quickly. But God says, nope, unpack, get comfy people. 70 years you're staying there, and I'll bring you back to the land that I gave you with my covenant. So let's look at one more context for this lesson. I call this the Bible context. And it seems to me it's like a map. 
You know, if you're traveling and you want to head to another country, you need some kind of map to know where you're going in relation to where you currently are. And I think the same is true with the Bible. When we go from book to book, it's really important to know how these books relate within the redemptive story of Scripture. So let me just show you, we've got a few minutes left, how I think this worked with Jeremiah 29.11. God said that he was going to bring them home after exile. This is actually a promise that God made all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 30, but was repeated often by the latter prophets, like, for example, Ezekiel, who in chapter 37 of his book famously envisioned the, the valley of the dry bones coming back to life. And, and this was another way to talk about God bringing Israel back to the land. But let's move forward. Did Israel prosper when they came back from exile? I mean, just start reading these books like Nehemiah, Malachi, Ezra. Actually, only two tribes, the tribes of Judah, returned. And when they do, they struggle at the hands of the nations around them. And really, guys, for the next 500 years, Israel's never really restored. Then we come to the New Testament. And guys, I think this is really important. When you read the Gospels, you can see them all showing that Jesus is like a new Moses figure, bringing the people of God home. His proclamation that God's kingdom has arrived was understood to mean that the promises of the prophets were finally finding their fulfillment in Jesus. In other words, Jesus was leading the people home from exile, finally. So Jeremiah 29 11 is a promise that God would indeed be faithful to his promises, not just to restore Israel, but because Jesus came from Israel, God was bringing salvation to the world. The promise that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 that he would bless the nations through Abraham's seed was finally coming to fulfillment in Jesus. And Jeremiah 29, 11 is a part of that long history where we see God faithfully proclaiming his promises. So Jeremiah 29, 11, I'd like to suggest, is actually about Jesus, ultimately, and not really about us. It's about how God remains faithful to his promises, even when his people don't remain faithful to him. So we've looked at four contexts. The reader's context, the historical, literary, and the Bible context. And we thought about it like a journey. One goes on when they need to pack their bags. They need to get a passport. They need a guide to help them around. And they need a map. And I hope this can be four helpful tools for you guys to dive deeper into God's Word and, as we're thinking about in this study, how to help others better understand what the Bible really does say. See you guys next time.